Welcome to All Roads from Oberlin. I'm Julian Worth, a rising junior. I'm Maddie Henke, a very recent graduate. And I'm Patty Stubel, an 0809 Oberlin alum. The three main stages in anyone's life. What's up, Obies? We've got another episode for you in our PATH series, where we talk one-on-one -on -one with alumni about their lives, the paths they've taken, and things they've learned. This episode, we talk to Lewis Grube, an 08 alum who works in Cleveland as a lawyer. I actually conducted this interview myself. I, I know, I know, hold your applause. And we talked about growing up in Oberlin, about the intentionally anxiety-inducing world of law school, and about taking care of ourselves during economic recessions. But here's Lewis himself. I think the story of Oberlin for me is pretty, pretty much it starts before Oberlin, because I, I grew up in Oberlin. And my mom went to Oberlin. She also got her master's degree from Oberlin, which they don't grant a lot of master's degrees. But so anyway, she went to Oberlin. Then my brother went to Oberlin. I definitely wrote about like a time me and my brother had a good time hanging out on campus as high school students as my like application essay. And he had graduated from Oberlin like right around the time I was applying. And you know, we both uh, kind of struggled at Oberlin coming from Oberlin High School. I think Oberlin High School is a lot better right now, but um, at the time it was like, it was sort of working its way out of a little bit of like an academic lull, I would say. It's a lot better now, but at the time, like I just, I didn't really know how to write. And the things I got good grades in at Oberlin High School, I did not get good grades in at Oberlin College. I was going to do like some form of science and just the, the, <laughs> the sheer increase in, in intensity and complexity between like Oberlin High School science and Oberlin College science, it was a real uh, culture shock to me. Like it was a real, it, I went from sort of this like casual like perspective on like what, you know, what science was. It was like sort of like a memorizing facts and like identifying, you know, cataloging and identifying things to this like, really, really, really like experiment focused, you know, I, I took college prep bio, got like this amazing grade in high school. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to take bio 118 and just like hit a brick wall in that class. I'm mean, anybody who's listening, who was a contemporary knows exactly who the professor is. I'm going to leave her name out of it, but she took it very seriously that I did badly in her class and like wrote on my final, where did I go wrong? And wow. I felt I was so Jeez. down about it. <laughs> yeah, but like, oh, so anyway, man. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I knew yeah. that early on. I'm not a scientist. So anyway, I, I had to take some time off while I was at Oberlin. Like, I really needed to reorient. So my band broke up, started a new band, and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to play this, like, pop-punk emo band. <laughs> and, like, I'm going to make it big. So I'm going to quit college and go on tour. And I get like, I'm like a week into when my semester would have started and my band is broken up and we never went on tour. And I'm like, oh, why did I take a leave of absence? So I came back, um, I wanna say spring 2006 for my third semester. And I kind of had like another dud of a semester. It was not good enough for them to take me off of the academic probation I'd gotten onto, but I wasn't like getting kicked out of school. But then I, I met this woman, I'm still very good friends with her, she's this, uh, you know, you meet when you're kids and you become friends and you stay friends, that kind of thing. So she like really taught me how to be a student and it like slingshotted me through the end of college. 
the the thing I didn't understand is that you can't just like treat it like a nine to five job. Ultimately, academia is like a, a thing you have to immerse yourself and live in. The key was that I started drinking coffee. <laughs> it was a real it was like uh, it was like finding the Mario mushroom. I went from like little Lewis to big Lewis and then I, then I could graduate college. So that's really funny, uh, actually. <laughs> it was great. I found myself being a philosophy major kind of because that's exactly what philosophers are best at. It's like philosophy is sort of a mode of learning. You know, I, I took uh, classes with Martin Thompson Jones. He taught a really cool class on like time travel. So let's say you want to study cause and effect, right? The problem with that is that in order to analyze whether something caused another event or occurrence or whatever, you would need to like replay it. Not like doing it 30 times and varying whether A happens. Literally running the exact same occurrence a second time. You can't do it, obviously, right? If we could, right. you'd, you'd be a billionaire. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have invented time right. travel, right? You'd be, I mean, yeah, you, right. I guess at some point I should segue into being a lawyer, but like one of the key things you have to understand in law is causation because you can't sue somebody for hurting you if you can't prove that that's what hurt you. There are all these little things that I learned in philosophy that were really useful. And the whole time I was really, I knew, like, I knew I was not going to have the grades to go be a philosophy PhD. There's just no way I could have done that. I actually, I'm almost certain I could not have gotten a PhD in philosophy from any school with my GPA, so I went to law school. <laughs> so, uh, but the whole time, the whole time I was really nervous about um, finding something practical. You probably, if you if you're the right kind of lawyer, you might have a you might have a job in like applied philosophy. <laughs> you know, it's not like an academic thing, but you do use a lot of the same talents that you need to be a good philosopher to be a good lawyer. Just the structure of a philosophy paper, learning how to do that kind of writing was super, super important for me at that phase. I didn't even realize it. I was just doing it because I liked it and I enjoyed it. Um, ended up being super important later. And uh, I did, I don't know, I did all kinds of stuff at Oberlin. I, you know, I took classes, I got a lot of bad grades, like, and I, I think there's something to be said for that. So even aside from the classes where I was going in to like learn something and get the you know, B or B minus that I could hope for. I also took a lot of classes where I was like, wow, this could go bad. <laughs> and I just took it anyway. And, you know, learned a lot. Like I, I definitely got a couple F's. I definitely got an F in bio. I got an F in econ, which is very funny. And then I also did a winter term living in LA. Uh, my brother lives out there. He makes movies. And so I got to like go stay with him for a month. This is like the example of why like winter term can be criticized it's like the <laughs> I, I did it in the classics department i got a, a classics professor who shall remain nameless to sponsor me to go do my own uh, odyssey <laughs> out to the west because i'd never to that point i'd never been like i really was from oberlin it was my first time flying on an airplane i was like 19 whether it was a real project is a is an outstanding question, but it was it was very formative. You know, I I learned a lot. Like I got to see my brother uh, working every day, and like to see what a young person's career looked like. And he was just like running himself ragged, trying to like make money and take care of his family. And you know, he when he graduated Oberlin, he and his wife had had a son. So he like my nephew George. He actually walked across the stage with my brother wow in his own little cap and gown yeah, oh that's that's adorable yeah yeah 
Yeah. So, but Oberlin was really great for me ultimately. I mean, I especially as a townie, it was it was an interesting dynamic because we drove me around the block to my new dorm room. You know what I mean? I would go have lunch with my parents like every day. I tell people this all the time, like, don't waste your 20s on law school. If you're certain, if you know you want to be a lawyer and you have some thing you want to do, like if you know you want to work with a community that they need lawyers, like immigration is probably a good example. If you know you want to go work at, for the immigrant community, the main thing you can do right now, aside from like becoming a social worker or working in some way that like impacts a person's daily life, you could, you know, go be a lawyer and figure out how to help get people through the system to be Americans at the end of it. Or just to get them out of, I mean, there's children in cages right now, right? So there's, there's this great moral imperative. If, if, that's your, if that's your thing, I could see that. But you really, if you want to go to law school early and right away after college, you should really have an idea of what specific work you want to accomplish. I also, I think it's probably fair to say... Like, if somebody really wants to be a lawyer and they know why they want to be a lawyer, they, they should do it early if they want to. I think buying time in grad school, if that's your goal, you should get a master's degree of some sort. Without a, a real goal in sight, I think it, it could be a very bad mistake for a person. I am sort of the example of how that could work out anyway and be fine. I like... I. I had no business going to law school when I did, but it worked out. It was fine, you know? Tell me a little bit more about that. Why, what makes yeah, you say I mean, you had no business going to law school? Well, you know, my grades weren't that great in college, and it was kind of speculative whether, you know, college grades and your LSAT score are sort of the two big predictive factors of how you're going to do in law school. And with my LSATs, I got pretty good LSATs. I was going to get into a law school. It was a question of which one it was going to be uh, in light of my terrible college grades. <laughs> so... I think in many ways I was a classic Oberlin student who sort of was throwing myself at 25 different things at a time and not not ever dialing in on one. And I needed to learn how to do that. I think I would have done really poorly if I had gone sooner. I took a year, year and a half, two years off between college and law school. I think also it's easy to like go directly to law school and not realize that this whole thing has been very difficult on you through college and maybe you should have taken some time to like camp out. <laughs> you know, maybe... Maybe you should learn what a campfire smells like or like, you know, go do some art, you know, because that's the thing. I didn't do those things. And so now when I when I say, like, don't ruin your 20s on law school, I can't have any regrets in my life because it worked out fine for me. But like there are things that are better to do when you're younger. And so I would just encourage anybody to, like, figure out whether they want to be a lawyer while they're doing the fun stuff that you can only do when you're young. (laughs) If I were giving advice to somebody about law school, I would say that. I would just like focus on figuring out who you are because you really don't know who you are until you're like 26, 27. And good luck if you're the person who does know who they are when they're 22 because it's going to be a long time of knowing who you are, you know? There's something to be said for figuring that out later and like sort of experiencing life, you know what I mean? Once I went to law school, it was genuinely terrifying to be there. It was like super hard, but they, everything was very interesting to me. I had a friend ask me one time, like, why don't lawyers just cry in court? Like, why aren't they constantly just crying in court? And I hadn't really thought of that, but it's, like, totally right. It's like, why don't they? It's terrifying. It's like you're, you're in there, there's, like, 12 people in the jury box, and there's, like, a judge, and the judge can just yell at you. And by the way, a judge can just throw you in jail. Judges can just, they can, they have the contempt power. So if you do something wrong in court, you can just go to jail. <laughs> 
So why aren't they crying, you know? Well, well be, I guess it might be considered a, a cry of contempt. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so well, here's the thing. They they the people who are going to cry in court decide not to be lawyers and the legal community gives them a lot of opportunities to figure it out for themselves that they're either the person who is going to have a hard time in court and maybe they shouldn't go to law school or they learn how to like really steal themselves and be the person who can like navigate other people through the system because your clients need to be able to cry in court it is hard to be there and your job as a lawyer is to be the person who's like in there making the work happen while they are falling apart emotionally and spiritually because it is you know lawyers do not get a phone call when somebody's having the best day of their life the LSAT is actually if you look up how the LSAT is designed it's pretty interesting they design it so that it will prey on your anxieties it is there's enough material in the LSAT that like basically almost any human is going to have a hard time answering all the questions so it's a stress Um, test as much as it is a a test of knowledge and, and and capability Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's I, the LSAT is very much designed that way. Law school exams are designed that way. The question is, like, who gets the most? My property exam in my first year of law school was a 25-page story about some things that happened. It was like, okay, somebody found a ring hidden behind a brick in the wall, and whose ring is it? You know, but, like, it wasn't just that. It wasn't just, like, whose ring is it? It was like, okay, well, there's the ring, like, behind the brick in the wall. Whose house is it? Whose brick is it? Whose ring is it? What about the land under the house? There are dresses in the closet. They're At the same time they're teaching all this, they are also trying to teach you how to keep your cool. So in, in fairness to the legal community, they are trying to like nurture you into being that person too. So, um, so I think, you know, that's good. I would like to talk about economic recession, both sort of your experience through the 2008, 2009 recession and Oh yeah, um, and just whatever whatever insight ideas you might have about COVID and students graduating now, whether it pertains to law school or finding a career more generally. Well, so the first thing is, I think a lot of people went to grad school uh, when I went to grad school, precisely because we were in an, a long economic recession. I don't know how we're going to get out of this one right now. And to be totally frank, I feel very lucky that like it hasn't really hit me personally yet. Yeah. So there's the downswing and then the upswing. And the downswing doesn't ever look nearly as bad as the upswing feels. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Like all of this going on right now, we're not far enough into it to really have a sense of how bad it is. We're like a year away, at least a year away from figuring that out. We're probably at the 2007 mark of the of the 08 recession. You know what I mean? We're like early on. And it was just not even on my radar because everything seemed like it could maybe come back. You know, right now we're still on the economic downswing, but like the impact on everybody's day is pretty substantial. So I think it is valid to focus on your personal growth right now. If, if there's no like career growth to go through, it is like an entirely valid thing to just accept that that is the world you live in and that it could be a good time to like meditate and think about who you are and learn who you are. And to also like do the thing where you like live adventurous and hungry. There's a lot of uh, romance attached to that, I think generally, but like truly, truly some of those times were the best times of my life. Like I, after college, like 
I was working a couple jobs that some of them helped me to get where I am now, but some of them really didn't. You know, when they talk about dignity of work, that's like a really important thing to think about, I think, and not just to like say dignity of work in order to give all work dignity. I think sometimes it's really important to do some very like grunt work and recognize that that is going to get you the money to like feed you. So if you're an Oberlin student graduating this year and you don't have like this cushy Wall Street job to like catch you right now, go paint a house, go weed some gardens, you know, um, go woofing, go, uh, buy a one way plane ticket somewhere crazy and wash dishes. I don't you know, you're going to hate it if that's what you're doing when you're 50. But it could be really, really wonderful to do that kind of thing now. Like, especially going to Oberlin. Oberlin is like a school where you get your degree and at least that period of time is locked in. You did something cool. You went to a pretty good school. You got a good education. And everybody's going to know that forever. You don't have to, like, reassert that. You don't have to prove that every single day of your life. And it is valid, I think, to tell people, well, you know, the economy fell apart. So I went and painted in the woods. And it was, like, really great. And I learned a lot about, like, keeping myself alive on a daily basis. If you have a compelling reason why it moved your life along, you can defend that to anybody, even if you're trying to get a really serious job somewhere. There's, like, the last line on your resume where it's, like, I like sailing, <laughs> you know, or like, or, like, gardening. And I read this kind of book. You know, it's, like, well... Those are the things I ask questions about when I'm hiring a, you know, a summer associate. I want to know what it's going to be like when we get drinks and hang out. Like, I want to hear what your life's about. So make, be cool, like have a good life. I don't know. The trick is also like slow progress. So nobody has even a good guess right now how long the economy is going to be a little weird. And for the people who are working right now, who, you know, may not have like who don't have a professional degree a lot of the jobs are going to be like kind of more dangerous i've never experienced anything like that so i'm not going to try and give like great advice but i gotta say like i remember listening to planet money when it was like when 08 was happening and just thinking to myself like oh my god i'm getting this law degree right now i'm like paying so much money on this and nobody has jobs how am i gonna do that like how am i gonna do this and those thoughts were never helpful to me you know, like you got to wake up and tell yourself, okay, well, I'm going to make something out of this and there might not be a ton I can do today, but here's like a thing I can do. So I'm going to do that. And those things stack up, you know, there's like a natural inertia to it. You got to build on the thing you did yesterday and like find a thing today. I mean, without knowing specifically what a person is doing, it's hard to like give advice about this, but in law, you know, I would read the news and figure out what kind of lawsuits were going on and like figure out where the legal community was going. I would just like stay in tune with what my, like with what the subject matter was that I had set goals around, I guess. I don't think anybody has any good advice right now. I, I think like a lot of people who are like mid career can like try their best, but truly this is unlike anything anybody experienced. Like maybe once we can go outside of our homes and interact with people, the recovery will feel like it felt in 09, 2010, 2011. But while we're all sitting at home, this is categorically different. If, you, if It's always valid to just take a day, if you can make time for it and it's not going to screw anything up, to just like be sad on your couch. You know, that feeling after you cry, there's something really powerful about that. And like, you know, if you need to have that kind of day so that you can have a better day tomorrow, it's, you know, whatever. Times can be really tough for a little while. And I, I think people just need to set reasonable expectations about how they're going to like emote their way through it 
So, you know, if you have a, a year of no progress, that might be better than the version of it where you go back a step. You know what I mean? This has been All Roads from Oberlin, an independent project produced by Patty Stubel, Maddie Henke, and Julian Wirth. Lewis, really appreciate you coming on the show. I had a very nice time talking to you, and although I don't think I included this in the interview, there was a part where you offered to someday get me a drink at the Fev uh, when I'm back in Ohio and when times are better. And, you know, I think I'm going to take you up on that. Our fantastic cover art is from Steven Mentzer, and our iconic theme music, appearing at the beginning of this and all episodes of All Roads, appears courtesy of Piper Hill and Claudia Hinsdale. Thanks for listening, and have a good day.